Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> On Relevant yeah. Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Monday, March 6th. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and producer Gabby Burke in for Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Monday morning here in the second week of Lent on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I hope you had a great weekend and got a chance to spend some quality time with your family and your loved ones. want to take a moment to remind you that uh, during uh, this season of Lent, try to go to confession if you can. It is a great way uh, to really feel good about having a clean heart and, and getting ready for Holy Week, the three days that change the course of history, the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I had the blessing of being able to go to confession before Mass yesterday on Sunday and uh, can't begin to tell you uh, the uh, great peace and joy that I feel uh, knowing that my sins are forgiven and that I'm in a state of grace. It's, it's a great feeling. Highly encourage, if you can, try to get to confession here uh, in these uh, upcoming days and weeks uh, during uh, Lent. You can always find us on Twitter our handle at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. Our email, if you want to reach us directly with your thoughts or any story ideas, morningair at relevantradio.com. I want to bring in my partner, uh, Glenn Leverance. Glenn, uh, what are some of the stories making headlines on this uh, Monday morning? Another train derailment in Ohio over the weekend. A Norfolk Southern train, about 20 cars jumped the track. This was caught on dash cam video, too, quite dramatic when you're the first in line at a train crossing. But uh, no one was injured here, and uh, no chemicals were spilled. The cars were empty, a few of the uh, the tankers that fell over the rest, box cars. But uh, third derailment in Ohio so far this year, John. Yeah, that's a, that's a little concerning, uh, obviously. But uh, uh, thank goodness uh, there, there was no chemicals on, on this one, <laughs> uh, like the one more, most recently that has been in the news. Yeah, and that one just a few weeks ago in East Palestine, uh, you know, the Norfolk Southern officials still getting hammered uh, hammered for that as the cleanup continues, and people in the area uh, of East Palestine, Ohio, still continuing to complain about lung problems, breathing difficulties, and the like. Elsewhere, uh, weather just wild this time of year, plenty of winter weather out west and in the north, and uh, thunderstorms and uh, tornadoes in the, in the south. Uh, let me give you some of these snow totals in the Lake Tahoe area near Reno, Nevada. My goodness. Over 500 inches of snow and in four different ski resorts in that area. Some of the, the daily totals uh, just to the uh, northwest of, of Tahoe and the Donner area. Uh, they got 24 inches on the 28th of February, March 1st, Wednesday last week, 44 inches. That's you know, in one day. Uh, we're talking nearly 500 inches for the year so far, and they're not done yet. Can, can you imagine shoveling that, John? Wow. Yeah. Well, that's something that you know. Uh, quite well there in Minnesota, this even this time of year. Yeah, I guess uh, for parts of Minnesota, the second snowiest winter already, and, and lots to go yet. There's another possible foot late uh, in the week expected, and uh, four inches last night, and a little bit still getting knocked around this morning, so uh, allow us some extra time. So I tell you, with all that winter weather, it's uh, it's kept the ice on the rink in the back in pretty good shape as of, uh, you know, I'm a little sad we're getting to the upper 30s and melting now, but I was I was still skating on Thursday. Meanwhile, you're out there swinging a baseball bat. 
Glenn, I got to tell you, baseball is in the air, of course. Spring training in full swing uh, down in Arizona and Florida. Uh, the high school kids getting ready to play. College kids already playing baseball. And, uh, yeah, I did get a chance to go out and uh, hit a few grounders and fly balls to, to my son, Joseph. I got to tell you, uh, I'm a little sore this morning. I must have hit about 150 balls. And so uh, uh, dad uh, still needs to get in better shape because uh, I'm having a hard time uh, picking up my pen this morning. <laughs> what a what a great thing to be sore from though getting out there playing ball with your son doesn't get better than that oh it? but it's so much fun it really is it's it's a blast and it's something that we've been doing since he was you know five years old i still remember you know father's day when he was five and he's hitting balls off the tee little tiny guy whacking the ball away uh and, you know i i remember posting that photo on Facebook, and it was one of my favorite Father's Day of all time, just seeing the, the little guy finally swinging the bat. Well, he's not so little anymore. Yeah, you know, he's he's a big boy, <laughs> getting close to almost six feet tall and uh, hitting balls pretty hard. So it's uh, it's it's a great joy to, to be a baseball dad. And, and again, you know, after hearing the message of Harrison Butker uh, the other day and his incredible faith, it's a reminder that uh, you can you can actually dedicate uh, what you do on the playing field in whatever sport you play. If you do it for the Lord, you're on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. What a great interview. Just to encourage folks to, to find that in the archives for Morning Air at Relevant Radio or, uh, you know, get it via podcast. Uh, but uh, Great interview. And I tell you, he's certainly got a future when football's over if he wants to be a Catholic speaker. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he could retire today and be on the circuit uh, all over the place. He is. He really is. He's, he's very gifted, very blessed, and uh, his message is very powerful. So, yeah, if you, if you didn't hear it, you can always go back to our podcast uh, from Friday, uh, a powerful interview uh, with the two-time uh, Super Bowl uh, champion Harrison Butker. And so... Uh, you know, we still got a long ways to go. Uh, the season hasn't even started on the Major League uh, Baseball side, uh, but, but uh, the uh, World Baseball Classic is starting uh, tomorrow. So uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that uh, in the upcoming days here, uh, Glenn. All right. I'd love to talk baseball this time of year. It, it makes the snow shoveling go easier. I'm there you saying. go. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, as always. Sure thing. Yep. First things first, we always start every morning, always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings Always through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. And traditionally on Mondays, we also pray for the souls in purgatory of our relatives and loved ones who really do need our prayers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, I trust in you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. A number of you want to be part of the conversation this morning, 888 Now, as Catholics, we know the value of every single person. Every single life is precious and has a purpose. But not all people feel the same way. Case in point. 
the chairman of the Framingham Democratic Committee, Michael Hugo, made a deeply disturbing commentary uh, during a meeting which he opposed pregnancy resource centers on the basis that more disabled children may be born and create expenses for school systems. Our fear is that if an unqualified sonographer uh, misdiagnoses a heart defect, an organ defect, spina bifida, or an encephalopathic defect, that becomes a very local issue because our school budget will have to absorb the cost of a child in, in special education, supplying lots and lots of special services to children uh, who were born with the defect. So it's our hope that this that the council tonight will pass this uh, this this ordinance. This is the mentality that we are dealing with uh, these days. That's right. You heard it really clearly. Basically, he's saying that disabled children are too expensive. Joining us live for a more perspective is Morning Air contributor Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action, to talk about uh, this uh, response to Democrats that say that disabled children are too expensive, and also, as well as the need to stand up to agenda-pushing companies. Kristen is a Catholic Christian, a wife, mother, grassroots activist, author, speaker, and human rights advocate who has coordinated a national team that serves over 1,500 students uh, for life chapters in all 50 states and has trained well over 150,000 young people. Good morning, Kristen. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Great to to be with you. Uh, Always enjoy our visits. Yeah, thank you for having me again, especially in, in, in really raising the alarm bells on what happened in Massachusetts at this very local city council meeting where they were you know, taking a vote to disavow pregnancy centers, not allow another pregnancy center in their community, harmful center, because uh, they're, you know, this as a Democratic chair uh, stated, our concern was that uh, too many disabled children could be born. Um, it was it was unbelievable to watch the clip. A friend of mine called me and said, "Did you see what just happened?" I was like, "No, I, no, I've only been in Framingham once in my life. I have no idea what's happening." And she showed me the video, and you know, one of the first thoughts I had and uh, was, you know, this is Democrats saying the quiet part out loud. Um, because, you know, I hear this all the time, John. I hear this, this argument all the time on college campuses. And it will come out of the mouths of, of children, of young people who will say that they are proud supporters of diversity, equity, inclusion, that, you know, all, you know, all the woke left labels that you can, you know, have, they will hold those labels uh, and say that they are proud, you know, proud supporters or allies. Um, but then when they argue their case of why abortion should be legal, why abortion should be promoted in our country, they will use eugenic arguments just like this. And it actually takes somebody pointing it out to them for them to understand. And usually I have them say it out loud and, and let them see the reaction of their peers um, to be shocked by that statement. And they repeat back that statement. And then I have to repeat it back a couple of times before I explain what eugenics is, uh, saying certain people shouldn't be alive, shouldn't have the right to be born or reproduce because of their genetic code, uh, that then they start walking back from that statement. 
But the, the sad thing is, is eugenics is alive and well in our country today, and it's being promoted by the abortion industry. And under the undercurrent of the arguments we hear over and over again it are eugenics. Kristen, it's really shocking if you think about it. Uh, you know, eugenics uh, goes way, way back uh, to uh, Margaret Sanger, the the. Uh, um, uh, the person who started, you know, the, she was she was the, yeah. the creator okay. of Planned Parenthood, actually, and uh, that was a long, long time ago. And yet here we are in 2023, and it's hard to believe that people actually believe this stuff. Um, it's it's in, in a time like you said when we're supposed to be, you know, diverse, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, it just makes no no sense that that people in in this day and age could could have uh, such a, a callous perspective of human life. They absolutely do. And I think, you know, I think these statements and actually highlighting statements like this are important um, because I think it shows the rest of our country um, what abortion really is. At the end of the day, abortion is the strong saying that the weak shouldn't be able to survive, whether it's because we don't like their genetic code or we don't think their genetic code is as good as ours or if it's something else, whether it's the circumstance of their conception, their size, their location, or their convenience to another human being. At the end of the day, all of these arguments of the strong being able to choose to end the life of the weak uh, are immoral. They are wrong. And many of those arguments are based in a eugenics philosophy. And um, yeah, I mean, this man, he actually 10 days after he said this statement, which by the way, it wasn't a flippant statement. He actually wrote this out, sent it to fellow members of the Democratic Committee a day before, then delivered the dress. I mean, this is probably somebody who wrote it, went to his wife and said, hey, will you look at this? How does this sound? And nobody caught uh, that he sounded like a monster with this statement. Um, and so he apologized 10 days later to the disability community uh, and to his fellow Democrats. But then he just resigned. Uh, at the end of last week, after more than a month of controversy. But the, but the thing is, he just resigned from this, from the Democrat committee. He hasn't actually resigned from his job, which is on the state health board. This is a man who served on county and local health boards and now advises all of the county health boards across the state of Massachusetts who has this eugenics philosophy. It is uh, absolutely unbelievable. We're joined this morning by uh, Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America. Uh, Kristen, it's not just uh, the young kids that are believing this stuff. It's the big corporations, the, uh, the, right. these major companies like Disney that uh, are, p- are pushing and promoting th- this woke agenda, not only in their products and services that they offer, but they're even getting involved in politics. Give us your take on, on, on some of these woke companies like Disney. Yeah, it's, it's a sad statement. You know, my children have, uh, you know, they know the line at our house, which is no new Disney, which means they can watch Cinderella, they can watch Snow White, they can watch Beauty and the Beast, but they're not allowed to watch anything new that Disney puts out. New movies, we don't go to. Uh, the, the cartoons on Disney Plus, we can't watch because we simply can't trust when it's going to be a normal video, a normal you know movie for kids versus one of these you know woke shows. I mean, and they've had some outrageous shows recently on Disney Plus. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, America was founded on slavery. I mean, these are terrible 
terrible shows and episodes. Um, but I think, you know, we start to see, you know, they just announced 7,000 folks being laid off in their company. Stock prices continue to drop. The CEO had to leave. The former CEO, Bob Iger, is now back in charge. Um, we started to see the market respond to uh, this political correctness where parents can't even trust Disney, for gosh sakes, anymore. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, you have Hershey's coming out for you know International Women's Month, uh, Hershey candy bar, and in Canada using uh, transgender woman, i.e. Uh, biological male, uh, you know, be their spokesperson. Stop uh, the insanity. Means- it's just insane. I know. It's unbelievable. It would, be, it would be like having a white person in blackface say, I'm the spokesperson for Black History Month. Could you imagine the outrage that all of us equally would have for that? But then the, the women's movement says absolutely nothing. Like, where are all the feminist groups now? It's, it's completely crazy. Hershey's. This is a Hershey's. They make chocolate, for goodness sake. Yeah, it's it's a really sad reality. I mean, there was a time when when Disney was known for family friendly yep. entertainment, and the, you know, the the Walt Disney Hour on Sunday nights, and you could go to the Magic Kingdom and have a great time and not have to worry about any of this stuff. And it's it's just so sad what what has developed. It really has, and it doesn't stop there, John. I mean, we're now into two companies that will openly pay and advertise that they will pay for a woman to have an abortion and give her, give her abortion time off, weeks off. I think the military just announced they're going to give members three weeks off after their abortion. But then we have businesses, Fortune 500 companies, that are terrible about giving parents maternity leave or won't allow a woman to store breast milk in the refrigerator at work or won't let her bring her breastfeeding baby into work, won't make accommodations for working mothers. Because this is how far the, the, the movement has gone. It's, you know, we don't want to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Therefore, you know, we must have abortion in order to be able to work. And now it's, now you must have abortion. So you always are at work. You can't be, you know, at home with your family. It's, it, the question, you know, the, the common sense, the majority of women just want to know in the country is, can't we just do both? It's not going to be easy. As any you know, working mom, I'll certainly be the first one to admit. It's certainly not going to be an easy job. But, but can't we also have a child and have a career? Like, what, since when do we have to pick one or the other? Uh, and, and that's sadly, the, that's, that's the messaging that we hear from the abortion lobby. But now it's also the message that we're hearing from all of these, you know, quote, unquote, woke corporations. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Well, I know that you um, and Students for Life of America have been uh, on the front lines uh, really fighting against uh, the uh, abortion pill uh, and these uh, mm-hmm. so-called uh, uh, medication uh, abortions. But there is some good news uh, from the state of Wyoming recently. Absolutely. Uh, late last week, after three years of work, our team in Students for Life Action saw our first ever Chemical Abortion uh, Prevention Act actually passed into law in the state of Wyoming, meaning chemical abortions, uh, no no matter the circumstance, will not be allowed to be distributed or sent to the state of Wyoming, which so Wyoming is a, you know, is a very, as anyone knows, is a very rural state. So it it has been one of the targets of the abortion industry for years to to disseminate chemical abortion drugs. Um, We, you know, we had to 
We had to go knock on some doors in some Republican districts. I had some students, unfortunately, suffer frostbite. It was so cold out there knocking doors. We had to go testify, and we had to uh, send a bunch of emails and calls and text messages in. Uh, but, the, but the job got done, and we're ho- hopeful uh, that this not only ends abortions now in throughout the state of Wyoming, uh, but this will spread across the country. We'll see a federal Chemical Abortion Prevention Act uh, presented very soon. I mean, this is so important, John, as you know. Majority of abortions in our country, more than 50% now, are done using these pills. More than 500,000 children. Every pharmacy in America, according to the FDA now, is allowed to distribute these pills. Um, and, and the turning, I mean, we had fewer, think about this, we had fewer than 600 abortion facilities uh, in our country the day that Roe versus Wade was reversed, finally thrown into the ash heap of history. That was a huge achievement for our movement, you know, years of 40 Days for Life campaigns and sidewalk advocacy campaigns. But now, uh, with this new decision, uh, we have more than 30,000 abortion facilities in our country. When you add in all of the Rite Aid, CVS, uh, Walgreens in the states that still allow the uh, horror of abortion to continue. More than 33,000 abortion locations now in our country. That's why our students were out protesting. Uh, I was there with them. I got my nice sunburn uh, this Saturday in front of these local pharmacies telling, you know, CVS, Walgreens, and Rite Aid do not become an abortion vendor. No one wants to uh, walk into their CVS, pick up their Harper medication and wonder if the guy behind them is a sex predator you know, picking up drugs to cover up his crimes or the girl in front of them in line is moments away from taking the first pill that's going to stop the beating heart of her child. No one wants to do that. Uh, but, but we're going to, I mean, this is a totally new landscape uh, in, in a totally new fight in this post-Roe era. We've talked a lot about what post-Roe America looks like. And it looks like fighting back against the proliferation of chemical abortion pills to stop the normalization of abortion. Because you have to think about, you know, their goal with chemical abortion is to do something that Planned Parenthood was never able to achieve. And that is to make abortion seem normal. Abortion seem easy. It's just like taking a couple of pills. Um, Abortion can never be seen as normal or, you know, uh, acceptable. Um, so we, we certainly have our work out for us. I just announced uh, at our gala this Saturday with VP Mike Pence and uh, down here in Florida that we've just launched a $5 million campaign, a litigation campaign against the, you know, against chemical abortion in our country and are, and are raising funds to hire some of the top attorneys in our country uh, to show how these pills are not only harming you know, children, but they're also harming mothers. And they're harming our environment because we have 22 years now of chemically painted blood, tissue, and human remains that are actually being flushed down our toilet with the active metabolites still present from chemical abortion pills that we know are harming our environment, harming fish, they're harming animal life, uh, because these drugs, these drugs are potent and they're deadly. Well, Kristen, there's no question that you and the post-Roe generation, uh, Students for Life of America, are doing fabulous work uh, to make abortion unthinkable, just the opposite of what the other side is trying to do. So much appreciate uh, your perspective, as always. Thanks for having me today, and I'm so excited uh, to continue partnering with you all at Relevant Radio to share with you these updates. Um, I would ask for folks to just pray for us, pray for this generation, 
pray for this movement at this time when, uh, you know, it, it seems like a lot is up against us, uh, but we know who finally, who has won the victory for us, uh, and then we're just, we've got to follow his will. God bless you, Kristen. Kristen Hawkins, uh, the president of Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action. And you can find out a lot more at studentsforlife.org. We need to take a short time out when we come back. Uh, Professor Annabelle Mosley will join us to talk about the Saints of March and how they can show us how to pray at all times. So stay with us as this Monday edition of Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Monday, Monday, so good to me. And welcome Monday back to Morning, Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Gabby and for Sarah. It's good to be with you on this Monday morning in the second week of Lent. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Luke 9.23. Jesus the Lord says, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Especially during this season of Lent, we remember the sacred heart of Jesus, as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we are going to follow the Lord, we have to accept our daily crosses and unite them to the Lord. Our sufferings can have great value and can be redemptive if we offer that suffering up and unite our small little crosses to the big cross of Christ on Calvary. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. A number again, if you want to be part of the program this morning, uh, 888-914-9149. This morning, we're going to talk about three saints uh, that we uh, honor and remember here in the month of March, whom we can admire along with their wisdom for our lives. Uh, These saints uh, (laughs) include a housewife, a formerly enslaved person, and a thief, and all of them uh, learn to pray in some of the most challenging of circumstances. Joining us live is our regular contributor, Professor Annabelle Mosley, uh, for much more on the Saints of March. Annabelle Mosley is the author of Sacred Braille, the Rosary as Masterpiece, and Our House of the Sacred Heart. She's a professor of theology, wife and mother, and the creator of the Bethany Plan, uh, offering busy Catholics a Christ-centered way to find balance. Good morning, Professor Annabelle. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again uh, here in the month of March. Oh, good morning. It's so great to be with you. Um, Professor, um, in this day and age, um, you know, people look up to uh, celebrities and, uh, you know, sports uh, athletes and, you know, people on the Internet, these so-called social media uh, influencers. Can you explain why these are not the people that we should be looking up to and and, uh, imitating and, and why the canonized saints should be our real role models? Absolutely. Well, we should cultivate amazement for the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. And we seek their intercession so we can follow their examples. Because the more we read about what they sacrificed, you know, how they loved and the authentic joy they found, the more we come to realize no one is cooler than the saints. Absolutely, for sure. I I, I always... Uh think of the saints, uh, you know, drawing from my sports background, they're like the Hall of Famers, you know, they're the best of the best. And, you know, 
for sure we, we want to, uh, to imitate them and, and learn from them, and there's so much wisdom uh, that they can pass on to us. Let's talk about our first saint this morning, and she was a housewife, St. Francis of Rome. Uh, we celebrate her feast day coming up uh, on, on March 9th. Uh, fill us in on uh, St. Francis of Rome. Sure. So St. Francis of Rome always wanted to be a nun. She just wanted to live in poverty and offer charity and give everything to God. But after a period of discernment, she she felt she had to be obedient to her parents. So she accepted the marriage offer of a kind, very wealthy man that her parents wanted her to marry. Now, thankfully, the marriage turned out to be a good one. It was joyful, but Frances longed for more pious opportunities than her wealthy life really gave her. So in her role as wife to this important rich man, she was required to attend these parties and social events. And this really made her feel disconnected and, and very sad. And her mother-in-law famously was not impressed with Frances. She preferred her other daughter-in-law, whose name was Venosa. And Venosa was a very cheerful, happy socialite. So Frances assumed that Venosa was superficial and she disliked her. But one day she discovered Venosa was actually pious like herself. She was just working hard to be more joyful as she kind of dutifully fulfilled this expected role with more obedience. So it was really a lesson to Francis. So uh, Saint uh, um, uh, Francis of Rome uh, can can teach us a lot. You know, she was obviously a, a socialite, uh, but she realized that uh, God had a, a different calling for her. Absolutely. And and here she was, you know, and, and how human is this, right? Our first judgments of people can really be wrong. It's a wonderful thing to always remember that just because you first judge somebody a certain way, we're not, we're called not to judge at all. But if you have that human kind of reflex, that sort of, you know, from our own concupiscence to say, oh, I think that person is this or that, it's usually mistaken, very often wrong. And here she was judging this other, you know, sister-in-law and it turned out that that was a really pious, pious woman who was just like her and just wanted to be obedient to her role in life. And actually, they had this incredible friendship that came once they kind of both dropped those first impressions. And uh, and so it really is a wonderful lesson how friendship can just come in these unexpected places. Uh, absolutely. Can you talk about the ways in, in which we uh, too can cultivate holy friendships, um, you know, when you least expect it? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and it, I think in the spirit of St. Francis of Rome, it's a really nice thing to do, to be aware of, more aware of this month as her feast day approaches. We have to think, kind of give some reflection time. Who's someone in our own family or within our circle of friends, or maybe reach out to someone in our parish and form a prayer group. It could even be between two or it could be bigger. Maybe it's praying the rosary together. Maybe it's having kind of a scheduled weekly phone call to just chat about matters of faith and share prayer requests or get together to read and discuss scripture. But what a nice, what a meaningful thing to do with our time and to kind of take the opportunity, kind of like Francis with Venosa, she didn't expect it. Very often someone, if you ask them, hey, would you like to pray with me or can we do this more often? Be surprised how often other people are looking for that too. And of course, another option is you could join your parish rosary society or the Knights of Columbus and just join a group where you could go more meaningfully into prayerful discussions, just like the good friends, Francis and Venosa. 
Absolutely. Birds of a feather flock together. Um, <laughs> men can, you know, meet other men who are trying to grow in their faith, to grow in holiness uh, at a Knights of Columbus, um, you know, event or just to be a part of, uh, of a council at your parish. And, you know, women can go to, to these rosary groups uh, in which they get to know each other a lot better. And so real friendship can really uh, be uh, an encouragement in, in growing in our faith. It's so meaningful, and it really takes us beyond the superficial to that to that place where our soul is happiest. You know, with with people we can discuss God with, it's just the best. And um, I understand that uh, Saint Francis of Rome also had some pretty good advice uh, to married women that uh, is still relevant today. Absolutely, she said this was her actual direct quote. She said, "It is most laudable in a married woman to be devout, but she must never forget that she is a wife." A married woman must, when called upon, quit her devotions to God at the altar to find him in her household affairs. And this is really a great, I can speak to this as a married woman and mom myself, it's a great comfort to not feel guilty when, like for example, two weeks ago, I love to go to Eucharistic Adoration and I had to stay home, my child was sick. And to not feel bad at all that like, okay, I would love to be at Adoration, but God wants me taking care of my little one. And that's a holy thing too. When, you know, God will tell you what you need to do at that moment, just based on your life circumstances and your state in life. That's a great perspective, uh, Professor Annabelle. Uh, if the good Lord uh, wanted you in a convent or, uh, you know, a, a guy in a monastery, then they would be there. So that's right. as, as, a, as a mother and as a <laughs> wife, uh, that should be uh, number one. Absolutely. I love it. All right. Well, we are going to dive into a, a couple of more saints, but first we need to take a, a short uh, break. I want to bring in our uh, listeners. If you have a special devotion uh, to uh, any of the saints that we honor here in the month of March, or if you want to be part of the conversation um, with uh, Professor Annabelle Mosley, if you have any questions or, or comments, we're taking your calls. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short break as we continue our discussion with a professor of theology and author Annabelle Mosley. Stay with us. There's more to come on the other side. Top of the morning to you. Welcome back to Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for tuning in this morning. Uh, you guessed it. Uh, we're going to talk about St. Patrick here momentarily as uh, we continue our conversation on the, the Saints of March and how they uh, show us the importance of praying at all times. As, uh, we're joined uh, this morning by Professor Annabelle Mosley, author, professor of theology, wife, mother, and the creator of the Bethany plant. Uh, professor Annabelle, um, this is a, a big saint here in the U.S. coming up on March 17th, just a few days away. Uh, tell us about St. Patrick. Oh, and I just love that Irish fiddle music. It just gets me right in the mood for St. Patrick's Day. So I can't wait to talk about this today. Um, he first came to Ireland as a slave. We all know that St. Patrick came to Ireland as a slave. But it's just, I never get over the fact that after escaping, he returned to the country of his enslavement to set the land of his captors free from sin, free from idolatry, and to teach them about Christ. And of course, during his ministry in Ireland, this uh, bishop who had once been a slave reportedly taught the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity 
by using a shamrock and doing so. And it's, you know, it's still, I find a great way to teach uh, about the Most Holy Trinity to our children. It really works well, illustrating how the Trinity is three persons in one God. It's really, it makes this feast day such a great Catholic holiday for our kids when we, when we sort of follow St. Patrick's example and teach our children about the shamrock and the Trinity. And it's also fun to know that St. Patrick developed the Celtic cross by placing the shape of a sun behind a cross, the sun which resembles a host. And of course, we recall Padre Pio's famous line, it would be easier for the world to exist without the sun than the Holy Eucharist. Well, what a great reminder of how St. Patrick um, felt that the Eucharist resembled the sun. Uh, But his work was so dangerous. You know, when he was in Ireland ministering, there were so many who wished to see him dead, really. They they wanted to kill him. So every day he he prayed the Lorica, And uh, it's also known as the breastplate of St. Patrick. And it really, I love the word breastplate because it's something we wear in battle. And when we pray the Lorica, we really can brave anything. Yeah, St. Patrick, uh, uh, truly, truly special. And, uh, you know, so many people, when they think of uh, St. Patrick's Day, you know, they think of, you know, drinking uh, green beer and partying and having a great time. But uh, there's so much more to this great saint, uh, this patron saint uh, of Ireland. You know, just even the fact that that he taught uh, the Irish people about the Holy Trinity through the use of the shamrock. What an ingenious way to bring uh, this mystery that we can never truly understand uh, down to like a, a child's level, you know, with just uh, three little sh- uh, petals on the shamrock uh, to explain uh, uh, this truth. Exactly. And and we can enjoy all month when we go to different stores, we're driving around and we see those shamrocks everywhere. We can just smile knowing there's the image of the Trinity right there, you know, in the public square. It really is a wonderful reminder. And it, you know, not in any way that everyone is even aware of because it's so innocent. It's, it's this image of, a, you know, a little plant. But it is. It's such a great way. And kids love it because they love, you know, putting up the shamrocks on the window or decorating the house. And when you can then have a prayer and remind them of the Trinity and teach them of the Trinity with those leaves, I just find every time they're in complete wonder and awe. They love it. Okay, Professor Annabelle, full disclosure. Uh, Sundays uh, during Lent is a uh, feast day, of course. And so yesterday uh, we were looking for a, a, a quick place to get something to eat. We don't go to McDonald's too often, but after Mass, we slipped into the McDonald's and got a <laughs> shamrock shake. I got to wonder how many people who drink those delicious shamrock shakes realize that it goes all the way back to St. Patrick <laughs> and the shamrock. That's so cute. That's so cute. It's true. It's amazing. It's amazing how deep it goes. And and maybe that's why it's so relevant to everyone to celebrate St. Patrick, um, whether they're totally aware of all the layers of meaning. And that's why it's great to talk about it, because I think on some level, our soul uh, knows it's something special about that day. Uh, his powerful uh, prayer uh, that uh, you mentioned, um, the uh, Lorica prayer and and many other prayers that are attributed to to. Um, uh, St. Patrick. Uh, they're, they're great uh, ways for us to, uh, to learn that we don't need uh, a, a perfect place or circumstance to pray. We can pray at all times. That's right. That's right. Yep, that's exactly it. He, he, was, he was facing danger from every corner, from every turn, and he wore this, this prayer like a breastplate. Um, to print that out this month, to put that on the kitchen table, um, to, to say it sometimes, even just a few lines, it's really like poetry. To, to just pray a few lines with the kids, they love it. 
you can even say to the children, which one do you, which line do you like here? Because it's, you know, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me. It's so many beautiful nature images in this prayer. It's just a gift. It really is. It is. And if you take the time uh, to uh, to actually meditate on the words of this beautiful prayer, it is a powerful uh, reminder of making our Lord Jesus Christ uh, number one. Okay, our next uh, saint that we're talking about here in this month of March, uh, known as the Good Thief. Tell us about St. Dismas. Ah, St. Dismas, celebrated on March 25th. And that's the name given, of course, to the criminal executed on the cross besides Jesus, um, beside Jesus. And he became known as the Good Thief. And his history was actually written by the great St. Anselm. So according to the account written by St. Anselm, Dismas lived a long life of crime. And when the Holy Family fled into Egypt, it was Dismas laying in wait. He was a criminal who was about to attack them. And then, according to St. Anselm, Dismas saw the face of Jesus, the beautiful, light-filled face of the Holy Infant. And so instead of harming them, he felt moved to offer them protection in his own cave. And according to St. Anselm, the Blessed Mother promised Dismas, before you die, you'll be rewarded for your goodness to us. So St. Anselm goes on to teach that 33 years later, Dismas carried his cross to be crucified next to Jesus. And he didn't recognize Mary. Dismas didn't recognize Mary, but she recognized him. And she prayed for him as she stood at the foot of the cross. And of course, we remember that famous moment when the other criminal, his name was Justice, taunted Jesus and said, oh, if you're, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But, but it was Dismas inspired by the prayers of Mary who who had this wonderful moment of conversion and said, do you not fear God seeing you're under the same condemnation? We justly deserve what we've received, but he has done no evil. And then uh, the, uh, the famous words, uh, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, uh, which is actually part of a meditation right before Holy Communion uh, from our Eastern Rite Catholics uh, who pray that uh, prayer three times uh, before Holy Communion. Uh, oh, just, uh, you know, a, a powerful reminder that it's not where you start, it's where you finish. And clearly he finished strong uh, there in humility, uh, asking the Lord uh, for forgiveness. Absolutely. It's wonderful words to remember to sort of spring to our own lips when we have a, a moment of fear or, or just looking for a moment of grace. What a beautiful prayer to, to say often, almost like one of those aspirations, you know, those that you can just say one line throughout the day, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because Jesus famously replied, Amen, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Yeah, it's a, it is a, a powerful scene, and, uh, and, and obviously we've seen it in Hollywood movies, uh, and and, and it, it it speaks to every one of us uh, because at some point or another we have all forsaken the Lord. We've all been like Dismas or even uh, Peter um, when we have betrayed the Lord, and so uh, we we all need forgiveness, and we, and we can draw strength from uh, Saint Dismas and his example. Definitely, I love how you use the word humility. I think that really is the key, um, and it's funny too because his name Dismas reminds us of dismal. You know, the word dismal comes from that same root. If you're in a dismal situation, you've had some, some dismal heartache in your life and some dismal betrayals, it's not too late 
to turn your heart to Jesus and to be like he was so humble. It wasn't, it wasn't like he, you know, he, he showed incredible humility before, before Jesus's famous response. And that's such a great, I love that you, that you mentioned that, John. And it's a a perfect segue. Uh, You know, our Lord on the cross, uh, when he was, uh, literally stabbed with that lance and that water and blood came out, uh, you know, a reminder of the sacred heart of Jesus, something that we should really meditate on uh, here during uh, this time of Lent. Absolutely. Um, can, can you talk about, uh, uh, you know, your own uh, devo- devotion to the sacred heart and, and the importance of, uh, you know, consecrating ourselves to the sacred heart of Jesus as something especially that we can do here uh, during these 40 days of Lent? Sure. I think it's so important for Lent. Um, That's why I was passionate about the Sacred Heart. I wrote a book about it called Our House of the Sacred Heart. But why Lent? Why do we turn to the Sacred Heart in Lent? Well, we remember that at the Last Supper, as Christ was readying himself to begin his passion, St. John the Beloved rested his head on the heart of Jesus. And we can pay really close attention to this because he was the only one of the apostles who had that heartfelt tenacity to stay with Jesus through the passion and to be there for him at the foot of the cross, not leaving when almost everyone else ran away. We want to be like St. John. And when we lean on the Sacred Heart like he did, we too can be more present to the suffering and death of Christ as we're called to be in Lent. We'll have a much more meaningful Easter if we've been there at the cross with our whole heart. And the Sacred Heart devotion will increase our love and charity for God and our neighbor. We pray, Sacred Heart of Jesus, make our hearts like unto thine. Powerful uh, prayer, uh, Professor Annabelle. And uh, where can our listeners go if they want to um, to be a part of uh, your 33-day consecration to the Sacred Heart of Jesus? Okay, so the consecration is available in my book, Our House of the Sacred Heart, which is available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. And it actually won a 2022 Catholic Media Association Award in the category of Family Life because it really is a wonderful book to pray with our family for 33 days. There's relatable stories and beautiful prayers and reflections that we can do as a family and consecrate ourselves to the Sacred Heart. But I also have a a supplement to the book, and it's completely free, and I'm giving it away on my website, uh, bethanyplan.com. Just go to bethanyplan.com, click the link, it's near the top, and you can sign up for 33 days that will be delivered right to your inbox. They're really a supplement to the book, and, and you can just... You know, you put your email in, you're going to get 33 days of music, prayer, inspirational stories, all leading up to the consecration of the Sacred Heart on day 33. And what a gift to give our Lord this Lent, to to rest our our head on his heart and say, make our heart like unto thine. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Professor Annabelle Mosley, for being uh, with us this morning. Oh, a joy to be with you. God bless.